to dig in the word tonight. Amen. I love it that we have a Bible believing church and in a Bible believing church, you bring your Bible to church. Amen. In some one form or fashion or another, you either bring it as an electronic Bible or a paper Bible, which is fine either way, but uh, we carry our Bibles with us. All right. I want you to um, turn with me to the book of Nehemiah, the book of Nehemiah. And uh, Greg, we got a row of lights out out here that didn't come on. Uh, Nehemiah. And uh, we're going to dig through, we're going to talk about opposition tonight and uh, looking at what the uh, Bible teaches about opposition. It's really, you know, it's funny about us as Christians because um, how we view opposition, you know, that comes against, like I know some believers that if they're doing something and there's opposition, they think maybe that God did, they miss God. And then if they, uh, you know, that somehow that if it's God, then it's all, thank you, son, that it's all got to be good. It's all got to work out. It's all got to come together. You know, and we make little statements in the church and I'm, and uh, if this is one of your favorite ones, please don't, uh, please don't be offended by me saying this, but like, we'll say stuff like, well, if God guides, God provides. Well, that's true. God will provide, but it doesn't always show up the way you expect it to show up, and it doesn't definitely doesn't show up when you expect it to show up. And uh, but God doesn't mean. Look, there are lots of people in the Bible that God was guiding them full boat, man, and they didn't have the provisions they needed. They had to trust the Lord and and stand in faith and do. I mean, it was amazing. You know, God guides, God provides meant that he provided a few loaves and fishes at one point. That wasn't enough to feed the crowd. And, uh, but God guides, God provides. So sometimes it's, 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 it's interesting that we as Christians, I know there, I've talked with people before and they said, man, I'll tell you what, you know, I thought I heard from God, but it's just been so bad since I started doing this or started believing for this or started doing this ministry that I'm, I'm not sure anymore. I, I'm thinking maybe I missed God. Well, look, just because it's bad, that is no indication that you missed God. It is no indication. And sometimes we as believers, you know, we kind of like, um, because of our mentality of, especially our American mentality, that everything is about, you know, pardon the way else, bucks and backsides that we measure everything that there are a lot of people involved and is there a lot of money involved and if there's a lot of people and a lot of money we tend to think in the United States that that means it's significant and that it was right on but that doesn't mean anything that is not how God measures uh, levels of he measures anything that you got a bunch of money and you got a bunch of people you know there are pastors that are obeying God who have very small congregations and are right where God called them to be, not because they weren't good enough to pastor a big church, but because that's where God called them to, to, to be at. So, you know, if, they, if they're faithful with 30 people their whole life and that's what God called them to do, that is all that we need to be concerned about is fulfilling God's will for our life, not about how big our churches are or how much money that we've got coming in or that we got more than the you know, more money than the church next door. It, because see, that's the American mentality. That is not God's mentality about things. You say, well, God, God wouldn't waste my talent putting me with 30 people. Well, how about that the 30 people are the, are, are, are the, are, are the investment and the stewardship that God called you to and he wants you to give them your absolute best. 
And if that church never grows beyond 30 people, we can't stand back and go, well, that was, I guess that wasn't God. I guess it wasn't the Lord because they didn't get a whole bunch of people and have a whole lot of money. Oh, pastor, that's good preaching. Now look, a church like ours, a ministry like ours, we're called to obedience, to do what God called us to do. And so in that, that means there's going to be all kinds of things that are going to happen. We need to realize opposition that's going to come and that we're going to deal with as much as a church that has 30 people has to deal with. So what I want, why, I'm, why I'm making that emphasis is, is that as you as a Christian, if you're basing your obedience on how much money you have or how easy everything is in your life, you're basing it off the wrong thing. Because it's not based off that, it's based off of, are you doing what God told you to do? Now, he will take care of you. He has promised to do that. He will increase. Mark just talked about harvest. There is, but you know how harvest comes? A little here and a little there. Harvest doesn't come overnight. There is no get-rich-quick scheme in the kingdom of God. Anybody that's trying to sell one is flat-out lying to you. I'll just let that set in. I mean, you know, you get people on TV telling you that if you do this, you'll have all this. And then they got testimonies of 20 people that did this and they have all this. And, you know, look, and, and can God do all of that? Well, absolutely he can do all of that. But, but how about the principle that he teaches us in Proverbs that wealth comes a little here and a little there, that it doesn't come all at once, that it's all about you being a good steward over what you have over time. Thank you, Pastor. That's such a good word. Hallelujah. They view being a good steward. And, and look, depending on where you are in your life right now, just be a good steward over what you have. Amen. Give out of those resources. Give, give what you can give. Do what you can do. Serve with what you have. Use your talents and your abilities. And here's what the promise of God is. If you do what he says to do, everything that he has given you will grow, will increase, will abound, will have a harvest moment in its in its life. I, I get nervous, you know, when I'm in meetings and I've been in plenty of them where, you know, there are promises being made. I was in a meeting, a really big meeting one time, and they were making a promise that if you would give, Sharon and I were there and we were missionaries. We were, we, we were just living on 300 bucks a month. I mean, for everything, housing and every food and gas and everything. And uh, 300 of that, 30 of that 300 was going in in our tithes and offerings. So we're actually living on 270. And, um, and our house payment was 200 bucks a month. And so we had $70 a month left over to eat on and pay our gas, take care of our gas and buy clothes with. That's not a lot of money even in 1981. Right. And uh, we're in this service and they're like saying, if you give $100, I think it was, wasn't it? If, you could, if you'll give $100, that uh, we're going to have some pretty big name preachers that we're going to pray over you. They'll pray over you for increase. And, and man, I mean, people started flocking to the altar with their $100 bills and their $100 checks and started giving them to these preachers for the offering. And they're laying hands on them. And you know what? Uh, Sharon and I probably had five bucks that we could give. We didn't get to go up there. But see, the preacher isn't the one that dictates the increase in our life. The scripture is what, and Sharon and I, I looked at her and I said, man, can we give $100? She goes, we don't have $100 to give. I mean, if we wrote a check out for $100, you know what we did? We broke the law because we don't have $100 in our checking account. You can't write faith checks out. 
I don't care who told you you could do that. Don't do that. That's a bad idea. You write a check out and say, well, we'll just believe God for the money to, to, to first of all, God isn't going isn't gonna to honor your dishonesty. <laughs> Amen. You tell God, give us the hundred, we'll give it. When it's in, we'll give it. Praise the Lord. But don't do it. Don't do it. Anyways. My point going back to that as Christians, at times because things are difficult, we think somehow we've missed it. You know, somebody's dealing with sickness in their home and they're like, oh man, I just keep going through one thing or another. I've heard Christian believers say, well, you know, first thing you need to check is did you miss it? Have you missed it? Have you, are, you, are you not obeying God in your life? Now, could that be a possibility? Yeah, but why is that always the first thing that we look for? What is, why is that the always? See, difficulty is a part of life. Difficulty is a part of life. And it's something that we're going to deal with all our life as long as we're here on this earth. And uh, so I, the reason I'm saying all that is because I want you to see about Nehemiah that Nehemiah is flat out heard from God. He's obeyed God. God opened up supernatural doors for him to go back to Jerusalem. He's rebuilt. He's got a plan from God to rebuild these walls. He takes three nights. He prays for three nights going through the city and looking at the walls, tells no one why he's there and what he's there to do. The minute that he declares and has a plan and knows what he's going to do and says, this is what I'm here to do. It is at that moment that if I can use this term, all hell breaks loose against him. And from, and I'm in, in one Shape or another, adversity begins to come against his life. But going back to something I said last week, everyone finds their identity and their esteem as they step into their divine purpose. Nehemiah stepped into his purpose. He found his identity. He found out he wasn't called just to be a cupbearer. That's not what his identity, he was a wall builder. And uh, he stepped into God's purpose for his life. And when he stepped into that purpose, that divine purpose for his life, he found all the self-esteem he needed. He found it all. He found all of the identity that he needed. And he found all the trouble that he needed. So why is it that when we step into our our purpose that God gives us to step into our identity and the true self-esteem, that that has to go with it? Because there is an adversary that absolutely does not want you to walk in the identification of who God says you are. Absolutely does not. And so resistance will always try to work against you to take that away, uh, to take that away from your life. And it comes in a lot of different ways. You know, it's really amazing. It, it can show up in, 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 in flat out attacks like what Nehemiah dealt with. It can show up in David's life where David was showing, having so much success in his life that it was time for him to go to war and he didn't go. He stayed home. And when he stayed home, uh, it, it created all kinds of problems for him because he was called to fight in the wars. That's what God raised him up for. He's a warrior king. I mean, this guy, from the, even before he was king, he was fighting in wars. He's just called to fight battles. That's what he does. He's called to lead men and go into battle and conquer and, and develop. Solomon was the one that God was going to raise up to stay home, but David's not the guy. And so all of a sudden, what happens when it's time for kings to go out to war? David stays home, ends up on his roof. He's bored out of his mind. You know, when you're not doing your purpose, you get bored out of your mind. And so he's bored out of his mind. He goes up on the roof. He finds something to entertain himself with. A naked woman on the roof taking a bath next door. 
He wants to know who she is and gets himself into all kinds of trouble. I like what I heard uh, Bill Johnson say this last, this, this last week. Um, and I thought it was so powerful. When you say no to the war you were born for, you face a conflict you have no grace for. So we could say it like this. When you say no to the purpose you were born for, you will face a conflict that you have no grace for. See, that's the thing that we don't talk about with Nehemiah is he gets into all this adversity. He's graced because he's in God's divine purpose for his life. So it's not just this cupbearer who's, you know, run into some kind of a self-help book about dealing with critical spirits and nastiness, right? This is a guy that God has grace to do what he's doing. And so because of that, he's able to face the conflict that he has in his life. See, so, so let's get this right. We don't look to the external environment for identification. We look to the internal call for our identification and purpose. If we base everything that's going on out here as success, we, we, that's going to be up and down. I mean, would you have called Jesus a success, a success on Good Friday? Well, in, in, in God's divine intent and purpose, absolutely he was a success. But by mankind's standard, was he a success? I mean, by all appearances, he had lost even his most, 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 his most faithful supporters were gone. They were bailed on him, except John, who was hanging out with his mom. So, I mean, it wasn't a good, by the outside circumstance, when Jesus took his last breath on the cross, by all appearances, it appeared that he had completely lost everything that he had fought so hard to build. But yet, he knew that he was absolutely 100% in the perfect plan of the Father the whole time, even with all the adversity, and had absolute trust that everything was going to go the direction it was supposed to go. And it all did, because he knew that there was something else at work besides what you could see on the outside. Say this with me. Something else is working. Yeah, something else is working. Say it again. Something else is working. So you might be surrounded by difficulty right now, but there's something else working. There's a greater work. You know, Paul said it like this. He says, look, I die on the outside, but I'm being renewed on the inside. The problem is, is when you let the death on the outside begin to affect the you on the inside, you begin to die on the inside as well. You got to be renewed on the inside, even though you might be dying on the outside. Thank you, Pastor. That was really great. Despite opposition from the world, the flesh, and the devil, you and I can have confidence in God's promise that he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. That's in 1 John 4, 4. And so we have to recognize that there is a greater power. It's like a, this one quote I had seen years and years ago. Greater is the power that lifts you up than the power that's trying to hold you down. There always is power trying to resist against you, but there is a greater force that is thrusting in your life to lift you above that adversity. And so there will be resistance. Resistance is part of life. But in that resistance, what's happening is you are becoming stronger in your identification if you don't give up. So, you know, that's why the Bible says don't become weary in well-doing. 
uh, because look, you're, you, if you don't faint, you will reap a harvest, you'll break through, good things will happen if you'll hang on. What kind of opposition do we deal with? Well, there's one, uh, there are four of these if you want to write them down. One is personal opposition. Anything you want to do for God or experience about God or experience from his word, there will be personal op- opposition. That will come from people who are closest to you. Family, friends usually are the primary and coworkers. So you always face personal opposition. When you try to step, when you are purposed to walk in your divine call, just as Nehemiah decided to do that, you will face opposition, you'll face personal opposition. When I told my family that I was called to go into ministry, I faced opposition for it. Now, I had some that were on board with it that felt that was the Lord, but there were others who just could not see it. You know, your family knows you. They know about you and your friends. You're really close friends. They know you. And so, you know, some of them, their first response is, well, why would you want to do that? You never, you know, you know, family will say stuff like, well, you're never going to make any money doing that. Right? Was that why you go in ministry is to make money? <laughs> There's a lot better ways to make money if you want to make money, all right? But, but family will say that, and friends will say that too. A lot of my buddies, they, they never, and my buddies in college, they did not think this was a good idea for me to do any of that. So you're going to face personal opposition. You're also going to face what's called cultural opposition. That's where cultural values typically that they're contrary to God's word. You know, look at, how, look at how the world portrays Christians right now. You know, we're wackos. We all got guns and we're killing off people and all this crazy stuff that's said about Christians that isn't, isn't true at all. Christians are some of the most loving, kindest people in the world today. Let's just take in the United States, even in the United States. But if you were to take some of the persona that's being brought out about what Christians are, we're deluded, we're delusional, we're, 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 we're zealots, we're wild, we're crazy. And especially you take a church like this that's spirit-filled Pentecostal, and there are folks that are like, we're not on the main line here. Do you know that we're not in the mainstream? It's, and it used to be a lot worse. It's a, it's a little better now because of what worship music has done in the churches. You know, you can go, you can go to... I'm just throwing some names out, but you can go to a Baptist church today and they'll be singing some of the same songs that we're singing here, all right? Now, that is culturally shifted a little bit, but there was a day that, look, if you were in a spirit-filled church, the culture of the church even was to not accept Pentecostal people. I mean, I sat down with a guy in Marietta, Ohio, who's, I mean, he flat out told me it was of the devil. Tongues are of the devil. Gifts of the Spirit are not for today. All of that has passed away. He wrote a book called Why Speaking in Tongues is of the Devil. He gave me a copy of it. I read it. I read right through it. He believed that Pentecost, He believed that women initiated the whole Pentecostal movement to take control over men in the church. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> Lovely. <laughs> So you have cultural opposition, how things are perceived, okay? You have governmental opposition, government policies that seek to destroy the church. In some nations, you have that where those governments, you know, if you go into Vietnam, I mean, when I was there, you're not allowed to preach. You're not allowed to preach on the street. Um, and, and you're not allowed to, to openly share your faith. And, and people aren't doing it. They're very careful. The preachers that I knew, 
They're not out, you know, they don't have a clergy sticker on their motorcycle. I mean, there's no, they're keeping all of this very undercover because of that they can do their job better not being in prison than they can being in prison. And so there's, there are governmental things that contribute to you can't, you know, what you can and cannot do in some nations. There are also things that are called like it, what they're called is the fourth one is institutional opposition. Um, and that will fall, you know, those will be religious, more uh, institutional attacks against uh, opposition that will come against the believer. Martin Luther, who knew the church was in bad shape because of what it was doing, selling, and I don't know how many of you know the whole history behind that, but the church was selling, was telling people that you could buy indulgences, and if you bought those indulgences and your family members were in purgatory, that you were actually going to help them get out of purgatory sooner by giving more money to the church. And so Luther saw that we're not saved by how much money that we give to get people out of hell or purgatory. We're saved by faith. And so God revealed that to him and he came out and he said, this is the way that it is. And they didn't receive that and they gave him the boot and he didn't care because he faced great opposition from the church and persecution because of the stand that he took that we're saved by faith. We're not saved by how much money we've got. Amen. Well, you have all those attacks that can come from a lot of different directions, and then you have the devil's attacks. And the Bible tells you that there are the wiles in the, in the book of Ephesians 6. It says that you and I can overcome the wiles of the enemy. And Jesus, or Hebrews 2.14 tells us that we overcome the power, all the power of the enemy. There's a power that you and I have, but there is power that the enemy has too, that he works. And this is important for all of us to recognize this as we're moving forward in our faith that there is another work, there's a force that is working against us and we need to be not ignorant of Satan's devices, the Bible says. Let's not, let's not bury our head in the sand. Let's realize that there's a real adversary that is at work. Now, as long as you don't do nothing, say nothing, try to change anything, that's fine. But at the minute that you try to Step into God's plan, step into some purpose for your life, change your identity to what God has called you to be. At that very moment, there is an adversary waiting at the door, at the threshold, ready to stop you from moving forward. You know, we talk about liminal space here a couple of weeks ago. Liminal space, that threshold moment, that tipping point in your life. There's an adversary at that tipping point saying, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. Don't move, don't you dare do, if you do this, you'll ruin yourself, you'll destroy yourself, you'll end up broke, you'll, you know, whatever, you're going to lose everything. Uh, that's the devil's tactics. So not only are there four different kinds of oppositions, and we're going to look at these in the book of Nehemiah that you and I deal with, but we're, there are also four different tactics that the enemy tries to use, and I want you to see these. The first one is found in Nehemiah chapter 4. Nehemiah chapter 4. Um, and in Nehemiah 4, verse 1, it says, But it came to pass that when Sanballat heard that we builded the wall, he was wroth and took great indignation and mocked the Jews. And he spake before his brethren and the army of Samaria. And he said, What do these feeble Jews, what what do these feeble Jews, will they fortify themselves? Will they sacrifice? 
Will they make an end in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish which are burned? Now Tobiah the Ammonite was by him, and he said, now watch this. He said, even that which they build, if a fox goes up on it, it will even break down their stone wall. So scorning here, the first thing that we recognize is the enemy's tactic is to scorn. And that's exactly what uh, Sanballat's trying to do is he's trying to diminish what's happening. He's saying it isn't going to do any good. It isn't going to make any difference. Um, your efforts are being wasted. Who do you guys think you are stepping out to do this? It's going to, and, and of course, then Tobiah jumps in and says, you know, even if a small rodent or animal went on top of that, that wall would cave in. It's not going to protect anybody. All of this, all of this that's being said is to under, is to, they can't stop Nehemiah, but if they can get the people that are with Nehemiah discouraged, and they do a pretty good job of getting them discouraged because at some point here, they just, they're just like, we're tired. We can't do this anymore. Um, that this, 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 uh, this, the, the adversary, Tobiah and Sam Ballot, their thoughts and what they're trying to say is to totally get the people to, to turn against Nehemiah. <coughs> it's very similar to what's in the book of Kings, uh, 2 Kings chapter 18, when it talks about Hezekiah being the king. I love that passage because when it, ta- it says that, that Hezekiah, that uh, King Sennacherib has, has be basically taken through Assyria, has taken over the whole region and Hezekiah, the Jews, their Samaria is already under captivity. Israel is already bound up. I mean, those guys are already in trouble. And now they're coming after Jerusalem. And Hezekiah has experienced the hand of God moving, but he's beginning to falter in his, in his belief because Sennacherib seems like the real deal. I mean, he's like, he's wiped the northern kingdom out. He could take, he's going to take us out too. So what Hezekiah does in 2 Kings 18 is, is that he gives all the, coal, the gold to Sennacherib, gives it all to him from the temple. In fact, it says that he went to the temple doors and he scraped the gold off the doors yeah. and gave that all to Sennacherib. But, but let me tell you something. Whatever you give the enemy will never be enough, will it? Because no matter what he did, it wasn't going to be enough. So what Sennacherib does is after all of that, he doesn't want the gold he wants it all. That's what the enemy wants. He doesn't just want some of your stuff. He wants all your stuff. He wants your family. He wants you. He wants your marriage. He wants your job, your business. He wants everything. He wants to kill, steal, and destroy. Say it with me. Kill, steal, and destroy, period. So here's, here's Hezekiah. He's given all this gold. Sennacherib sends a couple of guys down, and one guy's name is, uh, is the messenger in the, in the uh, Syrian language. It's um, Rabshaka is what it goes by. And this guy, he, he knows the Jews' language, so he starts talking to them, and he says, look, nobody else has been protected. Nobody else has been helped. Um, you know, the, the, and, and don't let, and he comes flat right out and says it, do not listen to Hezekiah because Hezekiah is telling him, be strong in the Lord, the power is might, God's with us, he's helped us before, you, you know, it's the song, he'll do it again, right? <laughs> if he did it before, he'll do it again. So we're going to be okay. And, but what happens is, is that Rebshakeh keeps attacking 
and saying, don't listen, and this is what he told you, and this is not going to happen, and look at all these other kingdoms that we've taken over, and they had God's harmoff and our pad, and he says, and they didn't deliver them, and why would you think your God's going to deliver you, and nothing's going to come out of this, it's, you know, so give up, surrender, right? This is what he's telling them to do. And the Bible says that Hezekiah recognized what's going on with the people. And he says this, the people have come to a point of delivery, but they have no strength to bring forth. They have come to a place where it's time that we could have a real breakthrough here, but they have, <clears throat> excuse me, they have no strength. And so the, 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 they're, they're flustered and they're frustrated. Now, they stand firm through all of this. They, he gets them through this. And unbeknownst to Sennacherib, God had a plan set up that Sennacherib is going to get wiped out and this whole thing is going to start falling apart basically overnight. But if you were to look at the outside, right? Not looking good here. Not looking good. Looks like we're going to lose everything. We've given up some stuff. I mean, and, but now we're going to lose everything. The Reb Shaka, he scorns the people. That's exactly what Sanballat and Tobiah. You know, Sanballat, I didn't talk about this last week, is the governor of Samaria. It's not too far away from where Jerusalem is. And so he is the governor in that northern kingdom. And remember that that kingdom has been split now after Solomon um, through Rehoboam and Jeroboam. And so you've got, you've got this, this tension that exists between the people. And Samaria have their own worship and they do their own thing and the people in Jerusalem they're doing their thing and and of course now they're in all in captivity in Jerusalem because of their rebellion and Sanballat has no love for the Jew for the Jerusalem Jews he has no love for them he doesn't want them to succeed so he's doing everything being used by the enemy and him and his buddy Tob Tobiah they're doing everything to scorn the Israelites Ah, oh, that ain't ever, you, what do you think, you, who do you think you guys are? That, that's a mess you're making there. That's not going to work. That's not going to happen. Hey, let me make this point to you. Whatever you believe God has called you to do, yes, sir, what I do? Oh, thanks. Whatever you believe God has called you to do, the enemy is going to scorn you for it. Now, the enemy doesn't always scorn you through a, a sand ballot and Tobiah. Sometimes it's a brother. And truthfully, uh, unfortunately, in my life, I've had a few preachers that were that I respected and looked up to that scorned what what I felt like God told me to do. And I've had some very close members of the church that that I thought were pretty awesome, and they scorned. I remember when God told man He told us to build that television station, and uh, we were in Marietta, Ohio, and man, our church didn't. Hard, we were just. I mean, we we we. We had gone from a $400 a month rent payment to a $2,847.72, excuse me, payment for the building that we were in. While we were doing all, while that's all happening, you know, we, we have a, a license that we have put in with the FCC because we believe God told us to build a Christian television station in Marietta, Ohio, who had no TV station at that time. And so, you know, we're, we're 
everything seems exciting in the beginning, right? I mean, it's like, oh, this is so cool. So anyways, we, we're like, we, we put the application in and, and I think we had, I forget how much we had to pay, but, and then we're waiting, the attorneys are all working on it. And then we get in this building and man, we got this massive building payment and it's seven times more than what we paid before. And we're losing people from the church because we, you know, just because I, I know folks think like, oh, well, you know, that church is going through a building program. I'm sure everything is really exciting and awesome over there. No, there's probably all kinds of crazy stuff going on over there that you have no idea what's really going on. You're looking at the outside. There's probably people leaving the church, mad at the design, didn't like the paint color that was picked out. The carpet's not the right. The chairs aren't comfortable enough. So anyway, so you got all this that's going on in Marietta, man. We're, we're in this building. We're having church services. Some people have left because they're mad because of, for whatever reason. And, and so folks start leaving and then the license shows up and we have one year to get the TV station built. One year. That's what they give you. You got to do it or you lose the license. And so I'm like, okay, well, what's that going to cost? Well, it's going to cost thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars to do it. And I'm like, Lord, our church doesn't have, we don't even have thousands and thousands of dollars to pay our monthly payment on this building. And we're believing God's fighting and there are weeks that we're not getting paid and we're just believing for this all to get taken care of. And, and he's, he's like, well, I told you to do it. It's going to be fine. Okay. Well, I'm glad you know that. How about you give me some proof that it's going to be all right? Have you ever thought that before? And uh, so, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm like, he's like, yeah, I did my word. So I told you it's going to be all right. I, I did, you didn't come up with this on your own. I led you to this point, right? Oh, yeah, that's right. You did. So you will, you know, and then you say stuff like, well, where God guides, you know, God <laughs> provides, right? So. I go before the church, you know, I'm just like, you know, so we figure it's going to cost us about $35,000 to get this thing on the air. I might as well have been talking to those green chairs because the church was like, oh my gosh, you know, where are we going to get $35,000? We don't have no, this is in 1987, I think, 86, 87, right around in there. They're like, we don't have $35,000. And, um, you know, and so... I'm like, well, we're going to believe God just like we do for everything else that we've got. And uh, so one of the guys in the church who's relatively wealthy individual, he says, well, I want you to go fishing with me. I says, well, that'd be, you know, and, 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 you know, you're trying not to look into stuff, but, you know, I'm thinking, well, it'd be, it'd be nice. And, and uh, he and I'll have a nice day together. And, you know, maybe he's going to sow some finances towards this project, you know. So we get out on the boat. And I asked him the question. I said, so I said to him, uh, brother, how do you, what do you think about this whole TV thing that we're talking about? He goes, well, do you really want to know what I think? I said, yeah, I really want to know. He goes, well, I think it's a waste of money. I think it's a waste of money. I says, well, what do you mean? He says, well, I think personally, I think that you should be raising money that we could get better chairs in the church and that we could get a better air conditioning system in the church. And he says, I think you need to put more money in your infrastructure and not worrying so much about doing these things on the outside. And I was devastated. I mean, I didn't let on to it, you know. I just put on my best political pastor look that I have and just said, well, you know, brother, you're entitled to your opinion, obviously. And we fished some more and didn't catch anything and ate some Kentucky Fried Chicken. That was the best part of the day and went home. 
But I told Sharon, I says, I am floored. I mean, it, because it was like I, it was like it hit me deep. Have you ever had anybody ever had that? I mean, it hit me deep. I mean, it hit my identity. It hit my, oh my gosh, I'm just like, Lord Jesus, I, you know, here I'm trying to, you know, and then you start into all the whining and crying stuff with the Lord. You know, Lord, I'm just trying to please you and do your will. It's so hard. And you know, God's like, shut up. All right. So, <laughs> so we go to a meeting and this preacher is going to be there and I don't know him. I'd heard things about him and it was an outdoor Jesus festival. You guys remember Jesus festivals, right? Outdoor, have a bunch of singing groups and different preachers and everything's happening with mosquitoes and flies flying around you, right? And uh, so we're at this Jesus festival down in, in Belpre, Ohio, I think it, or Little Hocking or someplace like that. And so I'm, I'm there, you know, we're hearing, and this guy's preaching really good, but I'm dying on the inside, though. I'm telling you, this thing, I'm just like, man, this thing has really overwhelmed me. And this guy, I, I hadn't even talked to this guy. He says, uh, Pastor, stand up a minute. He says, I just want you to know the Holy Ghost just told me there was a man that you totally respect, told, had said some stuff to you about this thing that God told you to do and spoke against it. And he says, I just want you to know that that man was totally wrong. And don't you allow that to, to veer you one way or the other. Amen. And I was like, well, that's God. Huh? I mean, I might not be the sharpest tool in the shed, but I could figure that one out. Man, that was God. And I told Sharon, I says, Can you, Sharon, that, this is God. I should. And so from that point on, man, we got in faith. Well, so we're just standing and this year starting to wind down and we're getting towards the end of the, the year. And some of you know this testimony. I mean, it's getting, it's getting close. It's, we're in the midnight hour now and we don't have the money. And uh, the, to be able to put this station on the air. And, um, and so I'm like, oh, Lord, I don't know what to do. And the Lord says, I want you to write three letters. And I just want you to let these people know about what you're doing. And uh, that's all I want you to do. One was a person that we had bought, that we had bought the building from. And uh, one was a, a, a man that we knew through a mutual acquaintance who I had never met, who used to live in Marietta. And then the other, I forget who the other one was too. It was an attorney, right? And so the attorney did nothing. The people that owned our building sent us $1,000 to be able towards this project. I think he sent it personally to, to help us with the project. And then uh, we had a lady in our church, a widow, who stood up and said that anybody that will give, you know, up to, I think it was up to $5,000, she says, I'll match all of that. I'll match whatever anybody... Uh, 2500 and I'll match the so you'll have a five, you'll have 5000 so we had people that got involved in that but we're way short from where we need to be and the this one man that that uh, that I had sent this letter to and I mean it wasn't like you know I wasn't like begging or you know if you give this money God will reward you supernaturally or anything like that it was just letting them know that what we were doing what the dream was and his name is Marshall and he's driving through uh, the mountains down in North Carolina. And while he, he lives in Florida, or may, in, in Georgia, thank you, sweetie. And, uh, and he's driving through the mountains. And while he's driving down the road, the Holy Ghost spoke to him and says, I want you to pay for that TV station, every bit of it. So he calls me from the Blue Ridge Parkway. He gets his, my number from someone else 
calls me on the phone, says, you don't know me, my name's Marshall. He says, I'm, he says, and he said, you sent me a letter about what you guys are doing. He says, and the Holy Spirit told me that I'm supposed to fund the whole project. What do you need? Man, I'm telling you, that's a dangerous thing to ask a preacher, what do you need, right? Well, let me say this. It's a dangerous thing to ask you what you need, especially if you know the one that's got, he says, what do you need? And I'm like, well, you know what? I, I, I need, um, you know, we've got 5000 and I need another $30,000. He says, I'll send, he says, I'll have a cashier's check to you by the end of the week. You know, you're just like, okay, well, is he really going to do it? I mean, you've got all those thoughts running through. Man, by the end of that week, we had the 30000 the 35000 We bought all the equipment. We got it all up. It was all up before it needed to be up. Then he called me back, and he says, well, God told me to build the whole thing, so I want to know, you don't have any cameras, do you? I said, no. We're using an old VCR camera. Greg and a couple of guys, would, Sharon and I had a TV program we were doing called New Beginnings. We'd sit up in a little studio that was, if people could see what it really looked like, would be like, oh my gosh, you know, but, but we had a little VCR camera and we ran that into the, into the whole deal and we would record it and then we'd run it up into the woods, up on the mountain, into the mountain and put it into the tape deck and then we'd play it out over the TV network. He says, well, brother, he said, God told me to pay for the whole thing. He says, how much more money do you need to be able to get cameras and to be able to build the studio? I said, we need $50,000. He said, well, he says, I'm going to write you a check out. I said, okay, okay. But see, here's the thing. So he, he writes that check out. We built the station. I mean, it was up. It was awesome. The newspapers covered it. It was, a, it was, I've got clippings in my office of all this. I mean, it's absolutely amazing. Sharon and I sitting there doing our New Beginnings TV broadcast and the newspapers there and it's taking pictures. But I would have all been taken away had I given to the scorn of the enemy. Now, I'm not saying this guy was the enemy. But he was somebody I trusted, somebody I looked up to, and somebody I respected. He was a businessman. And that would have destroyed, and had I not got that word, it could have actually killed that whole project. I'd have just went, well, it must not have been God. We just need to let it go. Scorn's a tough thing to deal with. If you've never had to deal with it with obeying God, you, you need to learn how to deal with it. You need to learn how to overcome it. And uh, Nehemiah teaches us how to deal with scorn. And because uh, I'm going to run out of time here tonight, but he teaches us exactly how to deal with scorn when it comes. And that is to pray, to go to prayer. Because he goes into prayer and he says, Listen, Lord, you got to turn this, you got to turn this back on them with the things that they're saying. You got you to make this right. And at that point, when Nehemiah, see, here's the, here's the real power of prayer. And we don't get this in the church, okay? We're, thousands of years after Jesus has been here, we still don't really understand how that this works. Prayer is not about you giving it to God and then taking it back and trying to make it happen, okay? Prayer is about you giving it to God, resting in God has it now, and my part is to stay in faith and obey him as he speaks to me. Yes, <clears throat> Nehemiah, 
He just says, Lord, you hear what they've said. You hear the, what they're, the comments they're making about all this work we're doing. Lord, you deal with them. And what does Nehemiah do from that point on? He goes back to building the wall. He gets back to work. So you can't let scorn, just because somebody scorned what you're talking about. And, and look, you know, who cares if people that you don't know make fun of what you're trying to do, right? Who cares? You know, you just go, well, they're all stupid, so they don't know what they're talking about. But when it's your own wife, or it's your husband, or it's your kids, or it's your mom and dad, or it's your sister, or it's a coworker that you highly respect and look up to. That's where scorn can feel like a knife shoved into your gut. But there's only one way to fix it. And it's not by putting them in their place. I mean, Nehemiah didn't say, you guys are of the devil. Shut up. Stop telling me that stuff. Get out of here. No, man. You know what Nehemiah did? He said, Lord, you hear what they've said. You deal with it. You know what Hezekiah did when Sennacherib made all those statements? Hey, Lord, you hear what he said? You hear the threats that he's making? You hear the kinds of things that are being said? Lord, I give this to you because I can't do anything about this. This is in your hands. You, you deal with this. And you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go back to work. And I'm not going to worry about it anymore. I'm not going to fret about it. Because if I'm really in faith, then I'm not going to worry. Because you can't be in faith and fear at the same time. You can try to be, but then you're just wavering like the wave of the sea, back and forth. And nothing you do will produce anything because you're, 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 you're confused in your faith and your fear. You, you, you have to put it before the Lord. Cast your care upon the Lord. You have to, you know, that's what he teaches us whenever we're dealing with stuff. Don't be anxious about anything. In all things in prayer and supplication, make your requests made known unto God. Scorn. Scorn. It's tough and, you know, I'm, I'm not trying to, you know, whine about being a pastor, but, you know, look, there, you, anything that you feel that God tells you to do, if you're, some of you here are going to pastor, you're going to face scorn. You're not called to preach. Look, you know, what do they say about Jesus? Oh, yeah, that's the carpenter's boy. What's he doing out here? What, who does he think he is? He's just a carpenter. That's just Jolliffe. He's a Marietta basketball player. Well, who, what is he doing? He must have gotten caught up in a cult or something, <laughs> right? See, whatever you step into, see, some of, I, I, I'm going I'm, I'm to stop on this, but some of you have stopped stuff in your life because of scorn. You let, you let the scorn win. Don't let it win. Say, well, it's too late now. No, it, no, it is, no it's not. No, it's not. You let it win. You were moving forward. You were, you, were, you were really growing and you were developing. Then something came along to just try to knock you back and say, get, get back there where you were. You can't do that. You can't do that. Other people do it, but you can't do it. You're not capable. You're not talented enough. You're not smart enough. You're not educated enough. 
You don't have enough money. You don't have enough people. You're not old enough. You're too old. Well, it's truth. You're too old to do that. That's all scorn. And the enemy, it's his number one tool he uses against God's people. And I got three other things here to talk to you about, but we're not going to have time tonight. But I just want, I, I just want to belabor that point. Look, put it before God and get back to work. Don't carry the scorn. Your dreams, the things God has imparted into your life are so vital for the kingdom of God. It's like Chuck said and Mark said it. You know, it's not just his kingdom, it's our kingdom together. And you play a part in the our kingdom, okay? You're not just a, you know, a peon in the kingdom of God or just a pawn in the kingdom of God. You're a part of the kingdom. You have a role that you play. There are things that God's called you to do. And so what you have to do is you have to put there before the Lord. Look, there have been times that Sharon has come to me, and I, I, like I said, I'm winding down here. Uh, she's come to me and said, the Lord told me that we need to do this, and I totally scorned it. I scorned it. Man, I was thinking about the other day when they came, the air conditioner broke in Greg's kindergarten classroom. And Sharon says, well, what do you think about us letting them have our air conditioner? And I says, I stood there, and I mean, I'm telling you, my countenance fell. I felt it fall. She saw it fall. You know, and she was coming with an idea, and she really felt like the Lord. And I said, look, I said, that air conditioner, that's, that's the only nice thing we've got. And I was the biggest jerk in all the world. I mean, I'm standing there and I'm saying, you know, and they're little kids and we know when we're hot. They don't know when they're hot. So they're just little kindergartners, all right? And I mean, I'm going through all this stuff and Sharon's standing there and I mean, I killed her, her thought. I killed it. And, uh, you know, I repented to her later. I know I did. I know I did. Right, I'll take it now. but you know this is like you're you know you you're in a service and you really feel you got some extra money in the bank and you come up to your spouse and say, you know the I, I really feel like we need to give this to to so and so, and they go, no we don't, no you don't don't do that that's not right. See, look, we have to learn to be much kinder in the way that we deal with stuff. You know, at least say. Let me think about it, okay? Don't respond. Don't be quick to answer about stuff. But I've done that. Sharon's done it back to me. We were just like, well, the Lord, I felt like the Lord wanted me to, to do this. And, 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 you know, and scorn can be a part of that. I mean, I could tell a whole bunch of stories with that. But, but it's just stuff that happens like that. And there have been times that stuff got robbed in our life because of scorn with each other. Blessings that were lost because of scorn that we allowed to be a part of our relationship. Look, if you as a couple don't scorn each other, don't kill each other's dream, be a builder, not a, not a destroyer. Build one another up. That's what we're called to do. Well, they'll get into error. Look, the God who called us is able to guide us as well. It's not our responsibility to put everybody in their place. Amen. It's good preaching, Pastor. Stand up with me.
Thank you, Lord Jesus. Hey, if you've scorned, go back and fix it, okay? <laughs> go fix it. If you've scorned, go back and fix it. It's, it's a tool of the enemy. Uh, like I said, there's others here. There's threats, distraction, discrediting. All that becomes part of it. Um, probably the greatest thing that I think Nehemiah teaches us, as I mentioned here in the beginning, is he teaches us to pray, which means that he always kept his eyes on God. You got to look to the higher prize. You know, I was shocked after we built this, when we got this money for the TV station and we got it up and running. My own, and she's not here so I can tell this, my own mother-in-law, I'm telling her about, isn't this awesome? We're dedicating this and this is what my own mother-in-law said. I never believed this was ever going to happen. And she's relented on all that. But you know, after all those, and it's there. And I, all the people I thought were standing behind me that weren't really standing behind me. Now you can live your life offended about that. Look at your neighbor and say he's talking to you right now. Or you can forgive and move on. Amen. And I've more than forgiven her for all the stuff that she's done to me. So, amen. (laughs) I love her. She's a a sweetheart. But we've had our moments. Praise God. You know, they say behind every great man, there's a surprise mother-in-law. So (laughs) let's pray. Father, I think all the things that were said about Paul, all the things that were said about Peter, Lord, all the things that were said about your disciples, Lord, everything that came against them, the scorn that the enemy tried to use against their ministry, against their lives, against our Lord and Savior. But as Paul said, I press towards the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. None of these things, he said in Second in Acts chapter 20, none of these things move me, and I refuse to count my life dear to myself. I'm going to do what God called me to do. Lord, I applaud those here tonight, Lord, that have persevered in the midst of scorn from their family. Those who've remained a true Pentecostal, spirit-filled, baptized in the Holy Spirit individual, Lord God, living out their faith in their family, much like my uncle did before our family, even in the midst of scorning, Lord God, and mockery. I applaud their lives, their fortitude, Lord God, that they kept their eyes upon you, Father, I pray for every person here, Lord God, that we're keeping our eyes on you in the midst of all the storms that we face in life. And Father God, that we are not moving backwards and we're not moving to the right or to the left, but we are always, always moving forward, forward towards the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Lord God, I know that you heal the brokenhearted. So tonight, Father, I pray for those whose heart may be broken by scorn and ridicule, who are hurting, Lord God, because of things that have been said. Maybe it was a parent or it was a spouse or a child, someone they respected, someone that they made themselves vulnerable to, Lord God, and they were abused, they were mocked, they were scorned. And Jesus, I pray tonight, you're the balm of Gilead, Lord God, You're of the oil of joy for mourning. 
And Father God, I pray that God, that this heaviness that has rested on their life, Lord, that they would throw that off and take on the garment of praise to rejoice, Lord God, that you are working in the midst of every difficulty as we turn these problems to you. That you, Lord God, will make provision supernaturally by your hand. Lord, that you, Lord God, unfold your divine plan for our lives, Lord God. And Lord, we're sorry for all the times that we have complained and whined about doing your will because it was hard or because somebody didn't like us or because somebody made fun of us. Lord, we repent of that. Lord, we are glad to bear, as Paul talked about, the stigma of Christ in our lives. That, Lord, that we are viewed by the world, Lord, that to some that we are a stench, but to others we are the fragrance of God because we carry within us the very light and gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father God, I pray for these tonight as they go, Lord God, that the dreams and visions and plans that you have unfolded in their hearts, Lord God, will get, not get lost in the scorn of life. In Jesus' name, and all those agreed said,